Mark chapter 5. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we started this chapter, and I had been studying and thinking and meditating on that chapter throughout the week, and I was kind of amazed to discover you can break the chapter into three parts or two. And we looked at the first part where Jairus comes to see Jesus about his daughter, and then we saw how this woman with the hemorrhage of blood comes and Jesus heals her, and then we, did, we stopped there. I thought, isn't it so cool? I could never thought of this myself at a time. Isn't it so cool that the day that we're going to stop and look at baptism, we're going to look at the story of how Jesus raises a young girl from the dead. Now, the even cooler thing is that up until Thursday, I believe it was, the two young ladies being baptized this morning are 12 years of age, and Jairus' daughter is 12 years of age. But Savannah had a birthday, so it it just kind of jumped over the line to 13, so that's okay. But we want to look this morning at God's power to raise the dead. And I want to read for you uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, and then 35 to 43. And it says this, When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him fell at his feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Then 25 to 34 has a story of the woman with the hemorrhage. And then verse 35, as he's finishing with her, it says, While he was still speaking, verse 35, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years of old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Now, I want to give you a context for how we're going to look at the passage. So take your Bibles and flip over to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll read the first seven verses. It says this, Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." 
so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now flip back in your Bible to the book of Romans and chapter 8. The first two verses of Romans chapter 8. And Paul is writing and he says there, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. I'm going to come back to this, but I just want to make one quick point before we move on here. The word law, right there, does not mean like thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not kind of law. It's a totally different kind of meaning there. What it means is, is the insurmountable, overwhelming power of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from an almost equal power, which is the power of death. So Paul is not saying it's like a law like the Ten Commandments. It's an insurmountable force that has set you free. Okay, that's Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And then lastly, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And what I want to do this morning, I want us to see the power of God to raise the dead. I want us to see how this young girl was in the bitterness and the power of death. What is the two great problems that we face in this world? You used to say death and taxes. <laughs> but we all know that if you have a good accountant and a good lawyer, you can get out of most of your taxes. But every single one of us, one of us faces the problem of death. We're not supposed to die. We were not created by God for the purpose of dying. We were created by God in the Old Testament, the Genesis book, to live. He designed us and put us together to live with Him, having fellowship and relationship with the living God. Modi, you probably saw the picture in the news about Nice and France and the madman with a truck who drove through a crowd and killed, what, 84 people? The one photograph on the front page of the newspaper I was looking at that really struck me was a picture, and it's just a huddled form on the ground. There's a blanket kind of laying over it, and what was laying beside the blanket was a little tiny uh, doll. And it was kind of crumpled up, and it was just this picture of this young, I'm going to assume it's a girl, laying on the ground, and she is dead. And there's something massively wrong with that picture. God created us to live. He did not create us to die. And as we go back to the story of Jairus in Mark chapter 5, what struck me about that whole story was the bitterness of death about this young girl and how she had come to the point of death and now she's dying and all of what surrounds that, the pain and the anguish of that. But there's something far greater than just the bitterness of her death. It's the beautiful story of the power of God to raise from the dead, to make something alive. So I want to look at three things this morning. Number one, the power of death. Number two, the glory of God's power to raise the dead. And number three, the joy of the new life that she had there. I almost tiled the sermon from bitterness to joy the power of God to raise the dead. But that just seemed a bit long, so I kind of short down to just God's power to raise the dead. So first of all, the power of death, the bitterness of death. Now we know from Scripture, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans in chapter 6 and verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. 
And all death exists in the world today simply because man has sinned against God. You say, what is sin? Sin is lawlessness. It's a refusal of man to be obedient and subject and in submission to the living God. That's sin. And this young girl experiences death because sin is in the world. Now, before you jump up and say, now, wait a minute. Are you saying that this little girl died because of some deep sin and now she's in the judgment by God and she's going to hell? And the answer is not quite. Now, before you think I've tossed my theology aside, let me explain that. A young child, a little child that has a limited understanding, an inability to comprehend the consequences of sin, inability to understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, will not be held accountable by God for that sin. God in His grace covers that. But the reality is that sin is in this world simply because, sorry, death is in this world because we have all sinned. And sin is the root cause of death. And the power of death extends to all of humanity. There is nobody that escapes that. The Bible says that man is born once to die and then the judgment. Every single human being left the natural course of themselves is going to face death unless God intervenes. And this little story about this woman, this young girl, sorry, in the story is a beautiful picture of how God has defeated the power of death. Well, the power of death has a number of things. Number one, it's separation. This young girl has been separated from her parents and separated from God because of death. The Bible talks about how we are absent from the body and present with the Lord when we die. Our bodies go into the ground, but our spirits go up to be with the living God. There is separation there. Sin causes separation all the time. In fact, the very word death actually means to be separated. Right? So sin has caused separation. The power of death is to separate people. Sin, sorry, the power of death causes pain. You see Jairus? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but for those who weren't here then, he comes running up to Jesus. He's a ruler of the synagogue. He's one of the highest ranking officials in the culture of his day. He bursts through the crowd. He pushes everybody aside. He's in his beautiful flowing robes. He might have even carried some of the symbols to mark him out as that position of authority in the temple. And he throws himself down at Jesus' feet. He does the most... Um, socially unacceptable thing that he could do. He throws himself down. He is in great pain. And you can almost hear it in his words. He says, he plores Jesus earnestly, my little daughter. Luke adds a little uh, information there. That's his only daughter. My only little daughter is the point of death. And he's pleading. The word there is he implored Jesus. He literally got on his knees on his face before Jesus. And he begged him to come. The power of death causes pain. The power of death is universal. Nobody escapes from it. Not in this little girl. You think, why her? Sorry, I couldn't help just seeing and notice the little girl sitting over there on a mama's lap. You think, wow, that doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But the reality is, is death is universal. The power of death is also imminent. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, some of you will know that name, is a great old theologian and philosopher from American history, the 1700s. And he wrote a a sermon, he preached a sermon from his pulpit in uh, New Haven, Connecticut called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. 
And the way he described man before God was like a spider on a spider's thread hanging over the pit of hell. And he said at any moment that thread could break and that spider could drop into that eternal flame. He said every single one of us is at the moment of imminent death. You don't know if you walk out that door if you'll get home or not. You'll hope you'll get home. I hope I'll get home. You'll hope you get to your family and your friends. You don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. This little girl, the way that the story describes it, I thought for the longest time that she was sick and then she had died. But the reality is she was at the point of death. It's something that came very quickly and she died. She had no idea. The reality is that death is imminent and it can happen at any moment. Am I trying to scare you? No, that's not my point. My point is to make it real to us that our lives are handled in the hands of sorry, in the hands of God. It's God's grace that keeps us going from day to day. It's God's grace that allows you to draw the very next breath that you take. The power of death is universal. It's imminent. It's separation. It causes pain. It leaves us insensible to spiritual things. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we are dead in sins and trespasses. What does that mean? Does it mean that we're actually dead right now? No, what it means is that we are separated from those things. We're corpses, that's the word there, in relation to spiritual things. So all the things of God that are happening all around us every day, things that a Christian, a believer in Jesus would notice, happen all the time. But we who are spiritually dead are insensible. We don't notice the things that are happening and going on around us. The power of death is bitterness to all humanity. How many of you have stood at a grave recently? Well, not so long ago. Some of us have. It's a terrible thing to stand and you look down that grave. And I was at a friend of ours' funeral. One of the girls I knew when I was growing up here as a young boy. We went to her funeral and we walked past the casket and people taking flowers and, and throwing down top of the casket, lowered into the ground. There is a sense of bitterness, a sense of futility as you look down at that casket. That's where death leaves us. And this young girl is on her bed. She's laid out. She's dead. Life has passed from her. God has, for a sense, taken her life from her and she now lies dead. But you know what the neat thing is? There's only one thing in this world that can overcome, can conquer the power of death, and that is simply the power of the living God to raise one from the dead. I want you to notice the second point before us is this, the glory of God's power to raise the death. I want to remind you of something in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It goes like this. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. It says this, But we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. I want us this morning, more than anything else, when I got here this morning, we were praying as a group over here, just a few of us, and my prayer for all of us as a church and visitors, friends, everybody, is to see and to savor the Lord Jesus Christ, to focus on Him. And if you forget, if you remember nothing else, remember this. See the Lord Jesus Christ. See the glory of Jesus in this passage. I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, the glory of Jesus' grace in hearing Jairus. 
He gets out of the boat. He's coming back across the water. All the crowds all around. And this one man pushes his way through. And Jesus stops. And in love and in grace, he hears this man. That's the glory of Jesus and His grace. He took time out to hear one. He cared about one little girl. Now in the Old Testament, sorry, the New Testament times in first century Jerusalem and Judea, a little girl, even a full-grown woman, had almost no social status whatsoever. And yet Jesus cared. He had grace. He looked at this young girl. He knew who she was. He cared for her. He showed grace to her father by hearing him. See the glory also in Jesus' grace in coming with Jairus. He doesn't rebuke him for his weak faith. He doesn't rebuke him for the way he's spoken. He doesn't rebuke him for pushing his way through the crowds. He simply follows behind Jairus to go and see this little girl. See also the glory of Jesus contrasting death with life. Look at this. I was... We had a lamb spit. Here, we had a lamb spit last weekend, and most of the church came over and had a good time eating lamb and, and chicken. Well, my sister and her husband were going away, and it's their birthday, so we had a lamb spit like yesterday afternoon. And I'm out there, and I have my Bible propped up on a box, and I had the lamb, and I was supposed to be basting. And I'm reading away as I'm basting, right? And I, I noticed down, and I had not noticed verse 36. I mean, I'd read it. I'd noticed it, but I hadn't noticed one really neat thing. Two words, but Jesus. You think... What's so significant about two words, but Jesus? At that point, Jairus is standing there and some friends of his have come from his house to say, listen, your daughter has died. That had to be the most devastating news he had. He had held on to hope. He had gone all the way to see Jesus. He was longing to see him, to get him to come back. Jesus, if you come, you lay your hands on her, you speak to her, she will live. And they say, she's died. And you see their hopelessness. They say, don't bother the teacher anymore. In other words, there's nobody that can help her now. It's too late. The day is gone. She has died. Come home. In fact, we know from the scripture that the mourners had already begun to weep and wail and play the flutes. And you see in those words, just a devastation for this man. And then the text says, but Jesus. And immediately I thought, oh, wow, Lord. What about Ephesians chapter 2? You know what it says? It says, we were by nature children of wrath. What does that mean? It's a kind of a complicated phrase. It means simply this, that left to ourselves, we are under the judgment of the living God. But then Paul writes, but God, who for his great love with which he loved us more, he has made us alive in Christ Jesus. He made us laugh. That little phrase there, but Jesus, puts the whole thing into slam stop. No, Jairus. In fact, Jesus even goes on to say, listen, don't be afraid. Keep on believing because there's something better coming. But Jesus. There's a couple of verses in Scripture that remind me of that. In the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, but when we were without... No, that's not it. Let's read it before I misquote it. When you get old, your brain gets fuzzy, right? And so sometimes you forget things. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God, right in the middle of all our problems, all our sin, are facing the judgment of God, it says, But God intervened. But Jesus intervened in this young woman's life, in her death. He says, Don't fear. Don't be afraid. 
Keep on believing. But Jesus, the glory of God as He stepped in and took what is absolutely impossible for man to resolve and resolved it. See also the glory of Jesus entering her space. Look what He says down in Verse number 39 and 40, he says, And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took the child's father and mother and his own companions, and he entered where the child was. The little words, the room, are in italics in my Bible to suggest that the text doesn't actually say the room. It's just the space and place where she was. And when I think about that, what I think about is Philippians chapter 2. And you know what it says there? It says, have this mind. I'm going to read it again before I misquote it again. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, sorry, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look, he entered our world. He humbled himself. The Bible talks about how he laid aside his glory. Like, kind of like this. It's like taking off a coat, right? It is warm up here, frankly. He took off his coat and he laid it aside for a while. He put it aside and he humbled himself. He came in the form of a man. And he walked this earth. Jesus entered into her world. He entered into our world. And he walked this earth just like you and me. He had flesh and blood, hair, bones and teeth just like you do. He entered her space. He entered her world that he might experience the things that you and I experience. And yet without sin. That's the glory of God, isn't it? What other person do you think would condescend so low like that? There's a story. This farmer's watching out his window one day and a hailstorm came roaring through the countryside. And out in the barnyard were these uh, ducks and they're running around. And the farmer's watching and the hailstones are pounding down. And first they're little ones and then they get bigger and heavier. And he starts to notice all these ducks and some of them are getting hit by the hailstones and falling to the ground. They're getting hurt. And the farmer thinks to himself, there's some way I could go out there and kind of get them into safety. And he goes out and he tries to kind of herd them. And it's like herding cats, right? Every time he moves in one direction, the ducks are all flying in different directions. And finally, in frustration, as he's getting hit by the hailstones himself, he finally thinks to himself, I just wish for a moment I could be a duck so I could lead the little ducks to safety. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he entered our world. He entered our space. He became just like one of us that he might experience death like we experience it, that he might set us free. From the power of sin and death. He entered her space. I want you to notice something else here. In verse 41 it says, Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum. You say, what's so significant about taking that little girl by the hand? We often think about salvation, coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, as a simple step-by-step. We hear the gospel. 
We believe in Jesus. We begin to repent of sin. We follow Him. And that's all there is to it, right? No. There's something beautiful and mystical and far beyond those things. John was reading in John, 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning about how God has made us alive. It's like the power of God as He reaches out and touches a person as they hear the gospel and He makes them alive. And I remember that moment sitting in a camp bunk when I was 13 years of age and hearing the gospel for the 65th thousandth time. I don't know, I heard so many times. I grew up in church. I wanted nothing to do with it. And that moment that everything changed for me. And all of a sudden, from wanting nothing to do with it, I wanted it and I could not let it go. And I went, I reached out and I grabbed it with all my strength. You say, which comes first? Faith or God making us alive? If I had a book of matches, I could show you how that works. It's like this. Remember, you think about it in your head like a, a book of matches. Little kids, you know, like a book of a stick match, and you strike it, and it, and it starts, and it flares up. And you say, which came first, the fire, the heat, or the light? Well, that's a problem, isn't it? They all sort of came at the same time, but we all know for a fact that the fire causes the heat and the light. And so as you strike that match, the fire begins. And the moment, the split second that it begins, there's faith there as well. There's light there. You know what I'm saying? God reaches down and touches us and makes us alive. And the very same moment that God makes us alive, there is faith in us. And we look up to God and we want God. Jesus walked in that room. All the the disciples, the three of them he took with him, and the father and the mother, they're all standing around the bed. She's lying there. Her body is white and it's cold and it's pale. There's death all over her. The blood and the fluids that begin to pool on the lower surfaces of her body. It's just a horrible sight. My brother-in-law Russ, uh, his his mom, dear friend of ours, Kay, we were playing for Kay Calderwood for a number of months. Recently she passed away. And they were all gathered outside and they were weeping and they are consoling themselves. She was a believer. And the nurse came out and said, listen, we need to take her jewelry off of her fingers and around her neck and so on. And Russ's dad, my friend Herb, just said, I'm sorry, I can't do it, Russ. I can't do it. You'll have to do it. And Russ said he went back in there and he, and he took the sheet and he pulled the sheet down. And he said he was absolutely shocked. In the 10 minutes that they'd been outside comforting and consoling one another, she had radically changed her appearance. And Jesus is in there with the little girl and she's dead and he takes her by the hand and he says those words, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. And the Bible says that immediately, she didn't kind of like slowly, you know, come up and, and shake off the fuzziness and then stretch and get up. No, immediately her life came back to her. She woke up. Everything was working. Her brain was functioning. Her heart and her lungs were functioning. Her body was full of strength. She got right up. And the beautiful thing about that story is there's life there. The moment that Jesus touched and spoke to her, he touched her, and that regenerating touch called her to life, and he called her to obedience. Get up. And immediately she got up and she obeyed. And you see the picture there. As the regenerating touch of life comes to us, the immediate response is both faith and obedience. She steps up and she gets up and she starts walking around. Can you imagine mom and dad? (laughs) They're in there, right? And you could... I don't think any of us can really fully comprehend 
the grief of a parent of a dead child. We can say we understand. We don't really. We get a little bit of it. And that moment, he's, they're standing there and they're watching their daughter and the, the, all the color is out of her face. Her skin is white. It's cold. And all of a sudden, he says, Talitha kum, and she stands up. And the Bible says they were absolutely or completely astounded, blown away, absolutely amazed at what was happening. They couldn't believe their eyes as she is walking around the room and they're all staring at her. And the third point I want to make is this. There was a newness of life. And can you imagine that little girl? Right? She's walking down the street. And someone goes, hey, 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 hey. You see? Across there, little girl walking down. That's the one that Jesus touched and rose from the dead. She came back from the dead. Everywhere she goes, people will be saying, hey, do you see her? Little Talitha? There she is. She's the one that Jesus raised from the dead. Here's my question to you this morning. This is where we want to kind of draw it all together. When people walk down the street and they look at me and they look at you, the people look over and say, oh, there he goes. There's that man that was touched by Jesus and called to life. He was raised from the dead. I guarantee you without any hesitation in my, in my heart, she was radically different. Totally different. Can you imagine she came back from the dead? She knew what it was to be dead, and now she knew what it was to be alive again. And the same picture is for us in a spiritual sense. We who once were dead have been made alive in Christ. We are to be radically different. The question is, are we radically different? People look at your life. They look at your business life. Look at your family life. Look at your home life. Look at every part of your life. The words that come out of your mouth, the actions you perform, the way you live your life. Do they see that you have been touched by Jesus Christ and called from death to life? How is that possible? And I can't imagine. I can't think of what was actually going through Jesus' mind. But I wonder, as I stop and think of the scene, as he walked into her room, as he looked down and he saw the lifeless little body lying there on the table, on the bed, whatever it was. If he didn't think of a day to come, some few years in the future, when he would be taken down from a cross, his body drained of its blood, his body white as a ghost, his body cold and lifeless and the loving hands of his friends as they wrapped him in the spices and they laid that big long linen sheet over him and they took him down and laid him in a tomb. If he didn't think about that time to come, because the only way that Jesus can take us and make us alive is he first had to purchase us with his own blood on the cross. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And because Jesus makes us alive, he doesn't just forget the debt. Oh, never mind. Angus is a nice guy. Throw it away. Who cares, right? No, absolutely not. God holds every sin that Angus ever committed, every sin I ever committed, every sin God Grant committed. There is to be an accounting for it. There is to be a price paid. And the reality is that Jesus came and he walked this earth and he paid the price so that one day when Angus believed in Christ, he could draw a line right through that debt and say, paid in full. My question to you this morning is, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? 
Do you know what it means to go from death to life? In a few minutes, we're going to baptize two young girls over in that inflatable tank over there. And those two young girls are going to come up here and they're going to stand here and give a testimony how they have moved from one stage to another. They have moved from death to life. Their body, sorry, their sin has been paid for. Their life has been purchased by Jesus Christ's death on a cross. And they have said, you know what? I want to be with Him. Why? Because He reached out and He touched them and He called them with the Gospel to come and follow Me. And they said, yes. And they stepped foot after foot after foot to follow Jesus down the path that He led. He is leading Where do you stand before God? The power of death, one of the great horrors of death is it is imminent. If you and I were to stand before God in the next five minutes, where do you stand? Are you going to stand there and say, Wow, Father, I'm so glad to see you. My prayer all through this morning as we were singing those songs and John was doing communion and we prayed before and outside there was, Lord, I just want to see Jesus this morning. I just want to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ making someone alive. I just want to see the glory of what you have done. I want to see you. Let me tell you something. If you're still in your sin, if your sin has not been paid for by the death of Jesus Christ, the very last thing that you want to do is stand before the living God. Because you will have nothing to say. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. And then I'm going to invite Savannah and Rebecca to come forward. Father in heaven, again, it is my prayer that we would see Jesus. See the glory of the living God in the person of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, He came in the glory of grace. He knew our need. He came, Father, in the glory of grace and He entered our world, took upon Himself flesh and blood. And Father, He entered our world and He lived this world, walking this earth. And Father, He went to a cross for us. He went to a cross and the Bible tells us that you were pleased to crush Him. To bruise Him. In order that our sin might be paid for. That our sin might be washed away by His blood. Father, I believe with all my heart that the Spirit of God is calling some in this room to life. And Father, the question is before them, will they believe? Will they step out and follow? Will they like Talitha? get up immediately in obedience and in faith. Father God, I come before You and I beg You that You would do a work in our heart. Father, for those of us who know You, I plead with You, O God, that You would help us to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and to respond to it and to be transformed and changed by what we see. Father, thank You so much for Rebecca and Savannah that you who said let light shine out of darkness has shined the light of the glory of the knowledge of Christ in their hearts. And they have turned and in obedience and faith they have begun to walk with you. Father, for all of us who walk out of this place this morning, may we rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Father, we pray 
that we would go out and our lives would be lived in newness of life, not just like the old life, but the newness of life. And Father, as they see us, they will say, there goes one who has been raised from the dead and given new life. Oh God, we just plead with you that you would do a work. Father, we realize again that we can do nothing apart from you. Father, we realize that it's only your enabling spirit working within us. Father, we give you thanks that the Bible tells us that you are working us both to will and to do for your good pleasure. Father, we cry out to you for salvation of souls. Father, we cry out that we would turn to you in faith and repentance. Father, we pray that we would live the life in newness of life and in joy before you. Father, again, we ask you for Rebecca and Savannah. Father, we pray this morning as they come and give their testimony before this group that's gathered to hear and to watch. Father, we pray that you would calm their nerves, steady their hands, Lord, steady their voices. Father, we pray that you would strengthen their faith. Father, we rejoice this morning that they are taking the step of obedience that displays to the world that they've been made alive. And we ask you all these things, Father, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.